field. Adams called to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. This is Red Sox beat on CLNS. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started Travis Shaw on opening day, and I'd be totally cool with it because I think it would it, it, if that doesn't give Sandoval motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter that first unanimous vote, and I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievement or a new milestone. So don't just be like, hey, we, we signed this player, we're going to have a ceremony. No, no. Like Now, to your hosts. All right, Red Sox fans, welcome in. Red Sox beat CLNS Media here, of course, on Twitter at CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage of New England professional sports uh, on Facebook as well. You can follow us uh, on just search CLNS Media. You'll find out the new website coming soon. Very exciting stuff. Uh, of course, you can find us, the show, on Twitter at Red Sox underscore beat. Facebook, Red Sox beat podcast. Exciting stuff going on in the Red Sox world. No Lauren this week. She is in Mexico in Cancun uh, for her brother's wedding. Congrats. She says hi. Old school Jess and myself here this week. Jess, um, we're going to kind of live up here and bring it back to the old days. Yeah, my brother got married this weekend too, but I'm not in Mexico. I'm in Massachusetts, like yeah. usual. So I am here and I'm ready to talk Red Sox. Yeah, like it, her. it was a Quincy <laughs> wedding, not a Mexico yes. wedding. So not, we have Jess. Not quite <laughs> I did not go to a wedding this weekend, in case anyone want, was wondering if we all went to a wedding. <laughs> I did not. I went golfing this weekend. Um, but that's, that's cool. It was fun. I enjoyed, I played really well. But you know, a lot went on this week. Um, you guys talked a little later last week. I did not make it onto the show, but. Um, so we're going to have Jess recap, but there's a lot going on this week as well with news and things like that surrounding Rick Porcello. I want to talk about Christian Vasquez. Uh, there's a lot going on. Tyler Thornburg is officially out for the year, so we're going to get to all that, but Jess is going to take us through the recap, uh, talk about what week and the Red Sox are technically, technically in first place. Yeah, it was definitely a good week. Um, I obviously missed a couple of games cause I was a little bit busy but I have done my best to catch up and keep track, so I uh, will do my best here. Um, me and Lauren actually already talked about the first two games of the week on last week's show because we did the show on Tuesday night at midnight, and two games had already happened, and they were really awesome games. Both walk-off extra any wins against the Phillies, so you heard about that. Those were great on Monday and Tuesday. Excellent start to the week. Then the series shifted over to Philadelphia for two more games against the Phillies. In, uh, in Philadelphia this time, it was a two-game home-and-home each, four games total with the Phillies. And um, Wednesday's game was just as good as the first two games in terms of the record department. It was another Red Sox win. This one did not go extras. It was a 7-3 to final. Uh, this one was Brian Johnson against Jeremy Hellickson, and Hellickson was really bad. Johnson was not very good, but didn't last long because of an injury. Um, he ended up leaving the game with... Uh, a shoulder injury, and he's now on the disabled list after that. He lasted two and two-thirds innings, four hits, three runs. But a bullpen came in, namely Hector Velazquez, who got absolutely rocked in his first start against Oakland, and he pitched three and a third innings and only gave up one hit. He was dominant. He saved the game. The other three relievers, Joe Kelly, Matt Barnes, Robbie Scott, all pitched an inning of scoreless relief. So after only two and two-thirds from Johnson, the bullpen saved the game. Meanwhile, against Hellickson, the Red Sox teed off immediately with five runs in the first two innings, mostly courtesy of Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts. Bogarts had three RBI of those five. Betts had an RBI double. Um, Then, obviously, the Phillies came back, got three runs off Johnson in the second inning. Sorry, the third inning. And then Betts hit two more home runs in the game, one in the fourth and one in the ninth, for a four-hit, four-run, three-RBI, two-homer game. So I'd say if you if you wanted to categorize this game in uh, two people, Jared, it would be the bullpen, which isn't a person, but it's a collective person. <laughs> it is. It is the same. <laughs> and Mookie Betts. This was a good game. Yeah, no, it was a good game. And look, Mookie Betts, I think, is finally starting to find his stride. Him and Xander Bogart both. Betts is starting to kind of come back to what he was last year, and which is a good thing. You know, it start, it's nice to see him kind of start to repeat that success because we expect him now to be a top-tier talent in this league. So he's starting to kind of replay that scenario. And the bullpen, look, I've trapped on the bullpen this year, and I, and I still think they're incomplete. But one, Carson Smith could help that. But 
you know, I, I think they've been pitching really well as of late, except for a recent hiccup. But this was a good, a good, good game for them, seeing what they uh, have been doing. It was a nice kind of straight success, seeing that now they're starting to roll a little bit here and get comfortable with their certain roles. And Craig Kimball's been so good and all this stuff. It, it's nice to see. Yeah, it's like you wouldn't expect the guys that are in the bullpen to be that good, but the combination of them, the innings they're pitching, I think Farrell's done a great job with them, and then obviously having the safety valve of Kimbrell in the 8th slash ninth inning, I think it's given everyone confidence, which is awesome, and they've been absolutely on a tear. We'll get to their streak in a little bit uh, later in the week. Uh, but really, I mean, this this game is so encouraging because to actually see Velasquez pitch well, I mean, I thought he would never pitch in the majors again after that first start, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I... Um... After that first start, I, I didn't think, but I mean, he kind of he's getting the opportunity, seeing the Brian Johnson injury and everything like that. But um, yeah, no, I, I think I think it um, it's a good situation. It is. It's always nice to have guys that you can actually hopefully trust in the majors. I mean, they cycle through so much with injuries and whatnot. But that was good to see. And yes, I agree with Betts. Definitely coming around. Not that he has been bad by any means so far this season. Just not no, up not to at the all. Standard of last year. I mean, yeah, the average exactly. is down, and the you know. I mean, he, he he put himself a pretty high standard by getting second in MVP. So you're going to have a lot of expectations after that, no matter what. And so, you know, he's doing a little, you know, he's kind of doing what Kimbrell did last year, like flipped. Like Betts was Kimbrell this year, last year, and now Betts this year is Kimbrell last year. Still really good, but not as, not as good as you expect. No, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I like yeah. it. And But I think Betts is on that trend now where he's going to climb out of it. I think he's been... He's been getting more consistent, and I think I think Mookie Betts will be at the top of the league again come September. Yeah, I'm not too worried about him. Not not losing any sleep. You can't over his be. Play. You can't be because he's one of the guys you can't worry about because there's other things to worry about. Yeah, exactly. No worry about Betts. So first three wins, three in a row against the Phillies, which is great because they're the worst team in the league. So that's what you want. Uh, which brought us into Thursday's game, and uh, this one was frustrating because Chris Sale pitched a masterpiece. He pitched. Eight innings, four hits, one run, one walk, and strikeouts, complete game, eight innings. Didn't need the ninth inning because um, the Phillies won. And unfortunately, Nick Pavetta was just as good. Seven innings, four hits, no runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. Really impressive pitching outing here. Um, but the Red Sox couldn't get anything going against him. Uh, the only extra base hit was Chris Sale with a double, which is hilarious. And... He was not able to be driven in, and that was in the eighth inning. And then, unfortunately, the Phillies got their run in the eighth inning, like Ty Kelly RBI double, and the Sox couldn't score on the top of the ninth, and that was that. So this was kind of a throwback to the beginning of the season where Chris Sale was completely dominant, and the Red Sox could not score a lick for him. Oh, it was awful. And it's so disappointing because you don't even know who the guy is on the other side of the mound. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I was listening to local radio after that game, and everyone was like, Dick Pavetta, who was pitching on the other side? I thought it was a great joke because I'm such a big fan. I'm the such first a big basketball fan. I, I thought they said Dick Pavetta too. I was like, I was no. like, wait, that's not that's not Dick Pavetta. Um, no, look, it was I super disappointing. Super disappointing because of who was pitching and he did his job like always, and he, they, they couldn't score two runs. And it was reminiscent of what it was earlier on. Now, look, if you told me at the beginning of that series that they were going to lose the Cristel game out of all four games. You would call me crazy, and I still think that like that's ridiculous, and I think it's one of those one-off losses that shouldn't have happened. Now, um, would that have been better? Obviously, they would be better off if they didn't if they got some run support. But you know, it's been better as of late for Chris Sale and the run support. So I think I'm not concerned. It just sucks because they were going against a team that is not good, and I think everyone and their mother expected them to sweep the Phillies, which they should have because they're a crap bag team. Well. I picked well. Me and Lauren only picked the second two games because the first two already happened. But I picked I picked a split, and I was right. I would have so, picked a sweep if I was there. Yeah. So well, Lauren did, and she was wrong. So you're wrong too. Uh, <laughs> so question for you. Mm-hmm. Chris Sale. I mean, as we've seen at the beginning of the year, he was an unbelievable pitcher and got no run support, and then he didn't pitch as well, and then got run support and got wins. Now, again, he pitches incredibly well and doesn't get run support. Does, my question to you is, does he need to have the game be like 0-0 or one nothing or 1-1 to pitch as well? I mean, obviously he's still good when he gets run support, but he's not as good. Does he, do, you think that's, do you think that means anything? 
It's a question that I would come up with. Jeez, I love it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's a legit concern because you haven't seen them pitch well even when they score runs. So I think yes. I, I think you have to say yes to that question, or at least it's a major thought-provoking situation until it proven otherwise not true. But you're right. Every time the Red Sox somehow get run support, it seems like he dials back a little bit until he has to. And I don't know if that's necessarily a concern. Maybe he put his, his games on cruise control, which some aces can do. And I think he has the ability to do that. But I don't know. I, I, I think TBD on that answer only because I'm intrigued to see what he does next start and, and see how this plays out through July and August. But, you know, it's a really valid question to ask. Yeah, because it's like if you're if you're feeling the pressure of a close game, you might sharp like like you said, being an ace. Like, does he leave his does he lose his focus briefly, just because he's like, well, you know, I'm up five to nothing right now. I'm up five to two right now. I'm up seven to one right now. Do you lose focus and then all of a sudden you give up five runs and you're like, oh man, you still win the game? You give up <laughs> the runs. I mean, I'd rather obviously get run support for him, but I'd rather see him pitch like an ace, like eight inning shutout, which is incredible. I'd rather have that as long as you win, which hasn't happened in those games, but it is weird. It's still I've noticed I'm, yeah, like August. I'm interested to see if it's still a trend in August. That'll be really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Chris Sale is overall just a stud pitcher, and I'm never going to question his ability, but, you know, it might be, maybe there is something to it, you know, with the consistency of always grinding. And it's a long season. It's hard to grind that consistent. I'm not saying by any means that he needs to be at 100% mental focus every time he gets on the mound, because it's a long season. You play crap bag teams, um, it happens, but I'd be intrigued to see the trend later in the year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, even his bad starts are still good for, or at least like average for other guys. It's it's kind of you know he still gets ten strikeouts, nine strikeouts. Certainly not complaining. It's just you know when he's good, when he's really good, he's really good, and it's fun to watch. So we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, that was a loss, and the Sox won three out of four, which is still good. I'll still take three out of four against the worst team in the league because three out of four, no matter who you're playing. And easily could have been a sweep. So that brought us into the Astros series, who we go from the worst team in the league to the best team in the league, at least record-wise. And the Astros were the best team. And the Sox got on the right foot on Friday with a win, a 2-1 to win against... So it's funny, coming into the game, the Astros the second-best offensive team in the league. I assume that's by runs, what I looked at. And yep. the Red Sox were sixth. So they were second and sixth coming into the game, and the final was 2-1. to one. So go figure that. And it's funny, too, because Drew Pomerantz against Mike Fires, not something you would sit there before the game and go, yeah, that's a marquee matchup. Two really good pitchers. It's going to be a 2-1 to game. I didn't think that. I like Pomerantz. I like him more than most people do, but you wouldn't expect with those two guys to have a pitching duel, and it was. They both gave up one run, over seven innings for Fires, over six and a third innings for Pomerantz, only four hits for Pomerantz, only five for Fires. Fortunately, the Red Sox got the run that counted in the eighth inning. It was tied going to the eighth inning. And Mookie Betts hit a blast on the first pitch of the inning. Right as Fires got taken out of the game. It was off Will Harris, first pitch. Home run, third in, in uh, three games for him because he had the two in the Phillies game. And that made it 2-1, to one, and that is certainly all that Craig Kimbrell needed because, well, Matt, Matt Barnes too. But especially Kimbrell, give him a one-run lead, your money. He only threw, he threw 16 pitches, no hits, no walks, got his K. And that was the ball game, so... Yeah, I mean, weird. You would have expected more offense in this game, but obviously great to get a win against the best team in the league record-wise and, you know, two and two-thirds innings more of scoreless relief from the bullpen. This game was all good. Yeah, I, I think you're one of the few people who still have 100%, well, not 100%, but a lot of confidence <laughs> in Drew Pomerantz. And like, obviously he pitched well this game. I'm still not sold on the guy. He's terrible, but... You know, we pitched really well this game, and it's what you needed, especially considering, like you said, we weren't expecting this kind of game at all. Um, and and Kim, we can talk about Kimbrel for Kimbrel for hours and come up with new ways to praise the guy because he's just been so good. Um, but, you know, this is the type of game where you haven't been able to win consistently this year um, because one, the bullpen gave some stuff up. The offense couldn't score runs, whatever it may be. You know, they pitched. They had a legitimate game where the bullpen took care of it after Pomerantz was finished with a decent outing. And, yeah, the offense only scored two runs, but this was one of those games where we talk about early in the year, Jess. You need something to work when the offense isn't scoring runs or the offense needs to work when these aren't scoring well. And, you know, it actually happened for once. The offense didn't score well, but the rest of the, the whole pitching staff was good. Yeah, and Pomerantz hadn't given up a, a run till the seventh inning. I mean, Farrell brought him back out there. He hadn't even thrown 100 pitches, and then he gave up a home run to McCann, and it was like, all right, maybe time to take him out now. But 
he was pitching a shutout, and his pitch count was not high. And obviously, that's been the knock on him this season in the games that he hasn't lasted long. I mean, his record's pretty good, and he has gotten deep in a couple games. But he's also had several games where he's pitched, you know, four or five innings to 120 pitches. But in this one, six and a third, only 97. So if anything, I mean, that's encouraging because, you know, to, to know that at least to know that he can do it, right? <laughs> no, yeah, of course, because a guy like that where he's fourth, fifth starter, wherever maybe at the time with injuries and things like that, you need him to be successful. You need him to be at least somewhat successful in certain times or because if you have a guy like that who isn't consistently good, a la most times play ball course when he was here, Rick Porcello two years ago when he literally had a nickname, Porcello Blow. Like those guys, it's hard to pitch out of that. And it's good to see him at least every once in a while have really good starts to show him, okay, I can do it. Let's fight through the bad games. Yeah, I don't think he's worth giving up on yet. And I know a lot of people have. I don't think you should because I think he has the potential to be a good pitcher and has been at times. And, you know, if he stays healthy, I think that he's a very valuable guy to have at the bottom of the rotation. So that's my thoughts on him. Moving on to Saturday. Uh, this game was not good. This was the only not good game of the week, really, because the rest were wins minus the one nothing loss. Uh, this was a 7-1 to final, Astros over Red Sox. Uh, this was a Rick Porcello special. Um, he pitched six innings, gave up ten hits and seven runs, three strikeouts, one walk. On the other hand, David Paulino pitched six innings, gave up one run and three hits. So not one of Rick's better outings. Uh, it happened early and often. The Astros scored three in the first inning with two sack flies and an RBI double, and then the homer parade started coming in the third. Jose Altuve hit one to make it 4 nothing. Carlos Beltran hit one to make it 6 nothing. Chris Young got the Sox only run with a solo home run in the fifth, and then the Astros got uh, two more runs, one more run, excuse me, in the sixth inning, and that was that. Um, I don't know if you can speak to this because I didn't see the game because I was at a wedding, but... I mean, it's good that Porcello lasted six innings, but ten hits, seven runs, not so good. Yeah, no excuses, first of all. You should have had the game on. They have that Ness and Go app now. You can watch it wherever the heck you are. No excuses. <laughs> um, but, that one, the app actually works well. I don't like Nesson too much, but app's actually a really good idea. Um, I haven't used it yet, yeah. It actually works really well because my now fiancé doesn't like to watch baseball every night, so I'll just pull up my iPad and watch the Red Sox there, and she'll be on her way. Um... But yeah, so this game, Rick Porcello, there's something going on with Rick Porcello. We're going to touch on that in a little bit here once we get past the recap. But he, I think just personally, I think he just stayed in because I didn't want to go to the bullpen sooner yet because the bullpen did so well the night before. They don't want to tax the bullpen. I think the way he was pitching, they just said, just keep going and see how long you can get us through this game. Um, Plus, he's always he's always good at going deep in games, too, has always been the case. Exactly. So I think that's kind of what their, it seemed like that's what their mindset was. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but he needs to get out of his own way. Um, he's not the Rick Porcello that was last year, and no one expected him to be last year's Rick Porcello, but he's not even right now half of what that Rick Porcello is, and this game is what he's most likely been. It's been inconsistencies. It's been missing over the plate. It's been things like that that reminds you of more two years ago than last year, and it's becoming an issue because he was supposed to be someone that you're relying on in this rotation. Right, and instead he's 3-9 and nine with a 5.05 ERA, which is obviously not good. Once that is again, Porcel I mean, Blow. That is Porcel Blow, not Rick Porcel. I know he got him in a hole early, but still, the Sox are not scoring runs for him. Just one run in this game. It's happening almost every time, and I have trouble blaming him for that. Yes, I know he has not pitched well. I don't want to make that many excuses because he has been bad, even though I'll defend him forever. But he's not getting the run support, so they need to start scoring for him. I know it's discouraging when you're down 6 nothing after three innings, but still, I mean, yeah. It's tough to, to get back in the game when you're down 6 nothing, but it's still a fact that there's been a lot of games this season where he has not gotten run support. I'm not going to make excuses for him, but they need to score more runs. But yeah, he's definitely not getting the ball down enough. He's given up too many home runs, not getting enough ground balls. So that's what needs to change. I don't know what it is, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, we move into Sunday's game against those Astros again to try to win the series, the rubber game of the series, and the Sox What a great won. game this was. Oh. Yeah, 6-5. to five. Um, 14 hits for the Astros, only 8 for the Red Sox, but the Red Sox got on the uh, the right side of the the category that matters, which is runs. Uh, this is David Price start. David Price against Joe Musgrove. Um, and neither one was that good. Musgrove gave up 5 runs in 5 and 2 thirds innings. Price gave up 3 runs, 8 hits, 3 walks, 3 strikeouts, and 5 innings. Uh, to the scoring first... 
Uh, there were a lot of home runs in this game. Xander Bogarts hit one of the first for his third of the year, and then after Brian McCann tied the game with a single in the bottom of the first, no score until the, f- the fifth inning, and Carlos Correa blasted one off Price to make it 2-1. to one. And then Bogarts, half an inning later, hit his second home run of the game, which is as many as he had the whole season, a two-run job to left. That made it 3-2. to two. Then Jackie Bradley Jr. had a two-RBI double to make it 5-2. That was all for Musgrove. And then Price decided to give a home run to Jake Marisnik in the sixth inning to make it 5-3. And then he came out, Hembry came in, and George Springer had a home run right afterwards to make it 5-4. And then Bogarts got another RBI, single this time, to make it 6-4 in the seventh. Astros got one more in the eighth, but it was not enough in a 6-5 win. Um, I'm going to say that Price was lucky in this game because, first of all, he threw 107 pitches in five innings, which is not economical in the least. Uh, still three more walks. He's, we talked about that in the show last week, me and Lauren. Way too many walks for Price. And the fact that he came out for the sixth inning and then he have a home run immediately, right as he came out for the inning, and then that was it for him. I think he got lucky in this game because I don't personally feel like he deserved to win this game. Maybe you disagree? Um, no, he didn't. I completely agree with you, um, which is which is terrible for radio. But uh, when you watch the game, he he doesn't deserve it. He, he was taxing. He was struggling through every inning. He was in tough binds. He was in jams. And command was meh. His crap, his stuff is crap. And it's just it was something where he got lucky that Xander has such a great night because that he's yeah. the only reason why he got the win. Um, and, and good, yeah, he gets to say he got a win. He'll use that at some point in his media tour when he, every night he pitches when someone says, oh, you didn't get the win. Well, I did the other night. And it just, it's it's gonna, it benefits David Price. It doesn't benefit the rest of us for crapping on him. But, you know, he didn't pitch horribly. I just think that he was in such a crap situation every inning because his command wasn't there. And when he did have his command, his stuff wasn't great. So, look, watching this game was tough enough as it was because the ESPN broadcast is god-awful. But... I think David Price made it hard to watch. It was. It was difficult to watch, I, I, and I understand he's still coming back from injury, so I'm not 100% going to blame him just yet. But thank God for my boy Xander Bogarts. Thank God for Christian Vasquez, the way he ended the game on a strike, on a uh, caught stealing to end the game. What a gun that was. But David Price definitely got lucky. Yeah, I mean, his control is not good, like you said. Yeah, four walks, four walks, and three walks in the last three games. If you can't add, that's 11 walks in three games. That's not good. And he couldn't put anybody away last night. I mean, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. Only three strikeouts in the game, 107 pitches through five. Like, that is not getting the job done. So, I agree. Xander Bogarts completely bailed him out because he did not deserve to win that game. Bullpen gave up two runs late in the game. And I guess this would be a good time to point out that before Heath Hembree gave up that home run, the bullpen had gone 26 scoreless innings, which is insane. Yeah, no, that they um they're figuring it out, which is nice. And Carson Smith, when he does come back, will only help that situation as long as he gets healthy. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, overall, the bullpen's been phenomenal. That one little hiccup after that scoreless streak, and I think they could, you know, start another streak like that, depending on who they have, depending on what time of the schedule they're in. But you know, it's nice to see the bullpen start to be a little consistent, just because of how bad they were earlier on in the year and how much they had to be used. I think the starters being a little more successful are helping the bullpen get rest when they need to, and. I'm really happy that he didn't. John Farrell stuck to his guns and didn't put Kimbrel in earlier last night, or yeah, last night uh, when he could have put him in the eighth easily and didn't, and just relayed on the rest of the guys to get it done, and they did, and took care of it and gave Kimbrel a lead, and he took care of it from there. So uh, applaud that decision. Other decisions, nah, but you know, I think overall, great week, and the bullpen's been a huge part of it. Yeah, it's a good, good win. Good, good, uh, good week for sure. Three and a, uh, three and one against the Phillies, and two and one against the Astros. Um, Lauren got the Astros series right, two out of three. I said lose two out of three, but they proved me wrong, and I'm happy about it because everyone's good. And with that, we're giving the week MVP to the bullpen this week because you give it to Best, you give it to Bogarts. They both played well, but to have that streak and they didn't give up a run the entire week until the final day of it, no doubt, given the bullpen as a whole. MVP. Love it. No questions. Um, despite who you could you could justify other people, bullpen's been phenomenal. They were phenomenal all week, continuing that streak and were a big reason why he won some of those games. So uh, definitely a huge shout out to the bullpen. There is Jess's recap. Of course, you're listening to Red Sox beat uh, our opening segment and his recap is powered by the Seed Geek Ticketing app, the smartest and easiest way to build and sell sports and concert tickets. You can get a $20 rebate 
on your first purchase by downloading the free SeatGeek app to your phone. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and you'll enter the code GARDENREPORT, all one word, uh, for a $20 rebate. And so SeatGeek, of course, knows who sent you. And it's a great deal. It's a great $20 off. If you haven't used SeatGeek yet, highly recommend it. And you get a little savings by listening to our show and other shows around the uh, CLNS family. So let's stick with the bullpen, Jess. Obviously, good week. Um, obviously, good showing for the bullpen. But a couple of hitting points here in the bullpen to kind of, you know, we're talking about the bullpen needs probably still needs another piece. It would be nice to have someone else in front of Mark, Matt Barnes so he doesn't have to be the eighth inning guy. Two big things this week. One, Tyler Thornburg officially, finally, out named out for the year. He's going to have his um, his surgery, and he's out for the year. No shock there. Yeah, that's – I mean, it, it was going to happen at a certain point. There was some, – some decision was going to have to be made about Thornburg, and I guess thoracic outlet syndrome took care of for him. They decided to do the surgery out for the rest of the year. They hope they, he should be back for 2018, but – I mean, something was bound to happen. It just kept getting put off. He's not doing anything. He's barely throwing. He's throwing, like, soft toss. Like, nothing was ever, like, progressing to even close to pitching in the majors. And we've all been saying, no chance the guy pitches this year. And sure enough, guy's not pitching this year. Yeah, and you know what? He had the sur- he's gonna he had the surgery. He's out for the year. We all start coming, and, and there's no way around that, which is fine. They claim he's going to be ready for next year. So right now, obviously, the Travis Shaw deal looks like crap. But we'll see if, and there's no question he overpaid for Tyler Thornburg, so we'll see what happens there. Other news in the bullpen, which is the bigger one, Carson Smith, who was projected to kind of get some starting starts, or, well, not starts, but get some reps in in the minors, and um, he's now set back with shoulder inflammation. He's set back a few days, hopefully not more, though, obviously. And um, we'll have to see with Carson Smith, but he is on track. He's soon to be pitching in, I'd say, mid-July, maybe after the All-Star break just at this point because of the setback. I'm hoping it's still before that. I mean, hopefully it's just a couple four or five day setback, and that's all it is, like period. And I think he was probably going to be coming back within a few weeks. So hopefully it's by beginning of July, not like middle or end of July. That's my hope. But I mean, they're pitching great without him. Thornburg, you never knew him, so you're not going to miss him because you didn't expect anything anyway. So Smith is the big one. So I hope he comes back beginning of July. I think that would be ideal. But I guess. Hard to know with this stuff. Depends on how his shoulder reacts and when he starts to go. You know, you, you see relievers get a little less rehab time because they don't need to pitch as much to be ready to go for a couple innings here and there, whereas starters really need to nurse those arms back to long-term health so they can have those longer starts and be have that longevity in those games. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back before the All-Star break early July. I can't imagine in June at this point with the setback. So... I think having him back at all is going to help because you need to get Matt Barnes out of the eighth inning. As much as I like Matt Barnes, he's not a consistent enough eighth inning guy. So if you can bring Carson Smith back, get him in a sixth or seventh inning here and there, and if get him back for mid to eight end July through the rest of the year, being your eighth inning guy healthy, he's going to be a force for you because when he was in Seattle, the couple weeks he pitched last summer before getting shut down, he had stuff and he's dominant. So you need that guy in the eighth inning. Yeah, it would be nice to have a set guy because, you know, it's mostly Barnes, but you don't know how much you can trust him. Uh, Farrell Curley does not trust Joe Kelly to be in the eighth inning. He likes him more in the sixth or seventh inning, so it would be nice to have a guy that you know is going to pitch the eighth, and hopefully that's Smith. We don't know yet because he hasn't proven it, but if he comes in here and then he does pitch well, then he you would assume he'd earn that spot, but nothing's guaranteed at all. I'd have to say he has a very long leash and it probably has a good, very a very inside track to say the least, of getting that eighth-inning spot, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's his if he wants it, I believe. Oh, it definitely is. I think he just has to go come back, be consistent. He won't see the eighth inning probably right away unless John Farrell is an idiot, um, which I don't think he should. I think he should get a sixth inning, get even get a seventh inning, a couple under his belt, pitch a couple nights back-to-back, um, be helpful, and then, you know, once he has a couple major league outings, then throw him in the eighth inning and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's no point in not. I mean, if he blows a couple of games, obviously you might have to start wondering. But even last year when he was hurt, he pitched three scoreless innings. So, I mean, nothing to worry about there. But, yeah, I just hope it's not too long. I hope we don't, we're not sitting here until, like, middle of August. Like, yeah, Spitz coming back soon, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not that. Yeah, so obviously um, with Carson Smith, I, th- I think he's going to be 
He'll be back sooner rather than later. I think he really is coming back, and they're nursing him the right way, which is good. You don't want to force someone coming off that kind of surgery. Thornburg's done for the year. That being said, bullpen is still phenomenal. Uh, had that scoreless streak snapped. I don't know what's going on, Jess, but I don't care. I like it. And um, I just I think that's the big thing right now they're missing is that consistent eighth-inning presence um, that Carson Smith could fill. I think as much as I've crapped on them, I think that's the one big thing they're really missing at this point is just that eighth-inning consistency that they they don't have. Right. But it really hasn't been that much of a deal because you have Kimbrell in the ninth, and sometimes he's coming in the eighth when they've struggled. So it's like when they haven't struggled, then you're good. He pitches the ninth. When they have struggled, he pitches an out or two in the eighth, and then the ninth too, and then he usually gets it done. So I think that it's worked out because of Kimbrell. I don't know how they can rely on that. They may start faltering at some point. Hopefully that's when Smith comes in and, and cleans that mess up. But it's just like everybody. Robbie Scott's getting it done. Blaine Boyer's getting it done. Abad's been good. Hembry's been good. Kelly's been good. Like, they're getting stuff from everybody. Like, it's not just one or two guys. Like, it's really a collective effort, which is what, obviously, they were hoping for when Thornburg and Smith were out. And it's exactly what they've gotten. So that's really couldn't have worked out much better to this point. Yeah, and I think that it went, you know, um, it, it's gone well. I think it sounds like they're they're limiting Kimbrel to the ninth inning for a while, and I'm glad Farrell stuck to his guns on that the other night, on Sunday night. But, you know, if this is the point where Kimbrel starts to need some extra rest and not pitching on the eighth innings and Carson Smith comes back, it's perfect timing at that point. So I think that's their best bet. Uh, it's trending in that direction. I think it's just a minor setback. I think they're nursing him the right way, and I, I trust them at that point. Um, moving on, one thing I did really want to touch on, and we'll stick with pitching right now, Jess, because we talked about kind of in the recap because he had a start that was not good, but Rick Porcello, um, is someone who we came into the year expecting to be consistent enough. Same with David Price, who we wanted to bank on. We wanted to count, okay, even if he's not Cy Young, Chris, uh, Rick Porcello, then, He's going to be something decent at least. I don't think the bad's coming back, and you can rely on him with Chris Sale, David Price maybe, and then you fill in the back end of the rotation. That's not happening right now, and Rick Porcello looks like crap. His pitches aren't down. His sinker ball is not working. He's not getting more as much ground balls as he usually does when he's successful. Is that simply all it is, Jess? I think it's just a matter of the sinker's not working well, and that's the, that's the issue. His command's not 100% there. Uh, I don't know if you see anything different, but that's what I've seen. Yeah, it mostly seems like that to me. The ground balls, I mean, obviously, he still gave up a lot of home runs last year in his, in his Cy Young year, so I think it's definitely more the fact that ground balls, um, you know, his control hasn't been quite as good. It's still pretty darn good, I mean, but that was one of the main things last year was that he had so few walks. He had 32 walks last season, 189 strikeouts. He's got 85 strikeouts and 18 walks this year, which is still a really good ratio. Not quite the same ratio as last year, but, I mean... Really, the only difference is more hits allowed, and then they continue the continuance of home runs allowed because he's still pretty high up there in strikeouts, and his control hasn't been that bad. It's just I think it's just the ball not getting quite down enough, not enough ground balls, and too many home runs. Really, I don't think he's that far off from figuring it out. It's, I don't think he's a lost cause by any means. I don't think it's he's bad, he's as bad as two years ago. I think he just needs to have a couple of good starts where he doesn't give up three or four home runs and. You know, he's still going late into games, so I think just continue getting late into games, just minimize the home runs, and really just minimize the inning, the big innings at the beginning, because that's been the biggest problem, is he's struggled at the beginning a couple of times, and that's gotten him so far out of the game that he's, they've had no chance to come back. Yeah, no, I, I think that when it's been bad, it's been bad, but it hasn't been as bad as it was two years ago. So I'm with you in the sense of I don't yeah. think it's going to ever get to that sense again. I think that was just an adjustment year for him, but... The big question is, can he get back to what he was or even close to what he was last year? And a part of it is the run support, obviously, but in, especially in the loss this week when they lost 7-1, to one, part of that's run support, but part of that's you let up seven runs. So it's a combination of the bold. I still think there's an issue there. I, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think it's going to start slowly get figured out. Um, I, I don't know if it's an issue where maybe he doesn't have 100% confidence in the bullpen still. I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there because I really don't know what it is. And... Only he knows, only, I mean, I hope the pitching staff knows who knows with Carl Willis, considering Pedroia was better than he was last year in terms of figuring out problems with the pitchers. But I think that Porcel still is something that is going to be figured out. I just don't know when, because it seems like if it was something easy, Jess, it would have already been figured out. Yeah, and you wonder if it's like some kind of injury or some just nagging pain that's not like DL worthy, but... 
you know, when some guy starts doing stuff like this, eventually they're like, all right, we're going to make up an injury and you're going on the DL. So I'm wondering if that's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. I hope we just figure it out at the next couple starts and start turning it around. But I don't know if it's because I like him or what, but I still feel confident that he's going to turn around. They're going to start scoring some runs for him, and he's going to get a lot better. So I have faith. Maybe I'm crazy, but I have faith. I mean, he has three wins, right? And his ERA is over five. Like, I'm not completely shutting the guy down yet because I know what he can yep. do. But the problem is, is that he is consistent. It's a pretty good sample size now. Almost, almost on June. About halfway through the month of June, it's a pretty good sample size for someone who was the Cy Young Award winner last year. Yeah, he needs to turn it around quickly. That's for sure. So, one thing that can help him, and this is just spitballing, is Christian Vasquez. Now, I hate to sound that as like a corny transition here, but everyone knows I love Christian Vasquez, so this comes with probably a little bit of a disclaimer, but I, I watching that game last night against the Astros, the way he called that game, the way he helped those guys through that issue in the eighth inning, he helped them call a great game, and the fact that he threw that guy out to end the game. Seems like his arm's back to 100%. He's hitting okay now again, back to where I feel okay with letting him play every day. And his defense is back. I, I, I know it was he had a little bit of a lull like a month ago where he couldn't even play defense that well, and I was like, what is going on here? But I like Sandy Leone, but I, I think Christian Vasquez really is your catcher in the future, and I think it might be that time just to really let him play as much as possible um, and really give him the job and let him lose it at this point if he if he's going to. Yeah, I agree. He's done well enough this year, and Leon has done poor enough besides a quick start. I mean, Vasquez's average is still a 305. Uh, Leon's is only 225, so he's got him in the average department. Leon obviously has more power. He's got four dingers, and Vasquez does not have any. He clearly has no power because he's hardly ever hit any home runs. But between his good average and his catching, obviously, you know, it's finally at the point where he's back and. He's at full strength. He's passed the surgery and everything. So, yeah, he should be your catcher as much as he can be because that's what they wanted originally. And Leon had an insane year last year. He's come back down to earth a little bit. Still a good catcher. I have no problem throwing him out there here and there. But I don't think there's any question at this point that Vasquez should be your starter most of the time. Yeah, like I, like I said, I don't like dislike Sandy Leon. Like, you need a backup catcher no. for a reason. You can't play uh, – Vasquez can't play every single game during the summer. Especially like when you have you know day games after night games, that's the whole situation. Whatever it may be, you can't play every game. That's why you have two catchers on the roster, and Blake Swihart's nowhere to be found. So uh, I just think that you know, again, by I love Christian Vasquez. I always have. I've always been an advocate of his. I, I think it's starting to really show now. He's hundred percent. He's healthy. He's back. And you know, the arm is the big issue. We, no one was really sure if his arm was hundred percent. I don't think anyone really was until last night because that throw had to be perfect for them to win the game on that throw. It looked like it was on a string. He might as well have just went over there and placed it where it needed to be because it was on a, it was a dart. And that's the kind of thing that his his motion in his arm has been lacking um because you know before he got hurt just before he had the issue in the surgery, he was throwing those kind of balls to second base pretty consistently if not like every throw. And that's what people got I think that's what got him excitement around the city. What people what fans got excited for was oh, wow, that guy's got a gun. He's going to throw at everybody. And then he threw behind the, the runners at first and just wasn't afraid to throw the ball. And I think you're starting to see that confidence come back with the uh, shoulder again. And that's when it's really the most fun to watch Vasquez is when he's when he's sensationally defensively and then hitting for average. This is the best of both worlds. Yeah, not a whole lot, whole lot to add on that. I mean, yeah, you're not relying on the guy to hit home runs, but you're relying on him to be a, great, a good catcher and, I mean, the guy's got an absolute gun, and that was a perfect throw. Love any game on a throw out. That's nothing more demoralizing for the opposing team to lose on that, especially the best team in the league. So that was awesome. And I expect more of that And until people decide, this guy's not really worth running on because he's really good at, at catching. So <laughs> until that happens, I think we'll keep throwing guys out, and then probably at some point they'll say, this isn't worth it. Yeah. Uh, Vasquez has been rolling. Hopefully he keeps rolling and kind of considers – and keeps this starting role. Um, some of the other two that are rolling, Betts and Bogarts, we kind of talked about Betts. Let's talk about Bogarts, Jess, because Betts we expected to come back, but Bogarts, you know, the offense and the power wasn't, I mean, the offense was kind of there, but the power wasn't. You know, he doubled his home run total in one night 
on Sunday night playing against the Astros, which is phenomenal because he's a big reason, if not the reason, why they won that game. But, you know, you look at the way he's played this year, and he's starting to come in back into his own here. He's starting to really show what he is, and he's finally really consistently playing well enough to make the argument for one of the top short, younger shortstops, if not one of the top shortstops in all of baseball at this point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously the all-star thing, people are like, oh, should he be, should he not be? Obviously his um, home runs were down, and that was pretty much the knock against him was only the home runs because his average was like 330. So can't complain about anything there. I think, honestly, with him, he's the kind of guy, you know, he's had his ups and downs in the years he's been playing. But, you know, if you look at his overall numbers, he hit 322 years ago, 81 RBI, only seven homers. Then he hit 21 homers last year. Got all the way up to 89 RBI, only a 294, but that was that dropped pretty consistently at the end of the season, and maybe he got tired because he played so many games. But that's the thing he's been doing is he's been super solid with with playing almost every day, and that's why he's so reliable, and that's why I think that he's going to be looked highly upon, and why he's so good because he plays every day and he gets the job done. And yeah, you know, this year. 318, four homers now, and 30 RBI. He's got four triples, 18 doubles. I mean, he kind of just does everything. So if he's not doing one thing, he's doing the other thing. And when you put all those things together year after year, I mean, there's no doubt this guy's a keeper, and he's a very solid player. And if you can nitpick numbers all you want, but this guy is a very good player, no doubt. Do you think that his big performance on Sunday night is a springboard to him hitting more homers? Do you think he can still finish with 20 homers? I don't care that much about the home run total. He could hit 10 or 15 a year and play the way he does now. That's what you need from him at that point. But as long as the RBIs are there and the average are there, I really don't care about the homers in that spot. But if he can hit, do you think he can get to 20 home runs? Do you think this propels him to where he wants to be? Um, is is that kind of like a was that like kind of a spring bad game for him for the long ball? I think he'll hit more. I don't know if he'll hit 20. I'm thinking more like. 12 to 17. I think he hits home runs if he wants to, but the thing about him is I don't think he really cares that much about hitting homers. He likes hitting line drives. He likes driving guys in, getting singles, getting doubles. I don't think he's really worried about homers. I think if it's there, like last night, he hits them, but I don't think it's one of his top priorities. So I think if we're talking about him personally, it doesn't matter to him. So if it doesn't matter to him, it's probably just going to happen when it's going to happen, which is why I feel like 12 to 17 is good. But if he's hitting 12 to 17 and he's hitting 320, then I don't care. Yeah, and that's why I always felt, you know, I wish he would consistently hit second in the lineup, and it's hard to do that, I know, but, you know, that's the kind of hitter he is, and two or three at this point in this lineup really doesn't matter. You're kind of the same role because you really don't have the power. It really starts at four um, if you consider all the what you have underneath power, but Red Sox are coming as of late, into more of the home run game. They're kind of starting to hit that stride. And if Xander Bogarts can hit a couple home runs, this team's got to start elevating their home run totals because they're getting better, Jess. They're, they're hitting more homers, which is good. Uh, and there's no surprise that the more homers they've been hitting, the better off they are in the standings in the win column, too. Yeah, homers always help, and there have been a pretty pretty low number of them. But at this point, Betts has 12, Benintendi has 9. You know, Bogarts just got those two last night. Um, Hanley Ramirez even though he's done pretty much nothing otherwise, has nine home runs. So we're finally starting to see the power numbers led by Betts, uh, which is nice to see. You know, Bradley Jr., Moreland, they got some too. So I think the home runs won't be an issue. It's just a weird stretch of a couple months where, like, really low numbers and, like, like exceptionally low, like around the league and history and everything. So that's bound to balance itself out at some point. And Bogarts did that last night, and I think you'll see that from everybody. But... Got to get more from Hanley Ramirez because he's supposed to be a power guy, and he's kind of a bum. He's kind of a bum, and I think part of it is not playing first base. I really do. Um, yep. With, I, I think him playing first base last year was big for him because he was engaged, and now he's being a baby about not playing first base. So every time he's supposed to play, he's not in the lineup. Uh, inconsistencies. He's starting to become the, the Hanley Ramirez of old. Um, and I hate, I hate to say that I predicted it, but I totally predicted it. And you can say that because you heard me predict it on the show. That you I did. said he's not gonna he's not gonna do as well. He's in that Ortiz to keep him in line. He's not playing first. His head's gonna spin around and wander. And now all of a sudden he's here hitting two forty. I mean, he's just not reliable at all this year. And unfortunately, I had a feeling that was gonna happen. If you look at my bold predictions, I looked at them a couple of days ago just to revisit them, and I picked that he was gonna get thirteen home runs. I hope he gets more than that because he already has nine, but. I think my point of him not playing well 
in those bull predictions is pretty much what's happening. So I hate that I'm right, but it was so predictable, wasn't it? It, re- it kind of was, and I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't predict it, but I mean, it also it makes sense if you say it out loud now, obviously. But um, and you can understand why you would have said that. All your reasonings were right, but. I think there's still time. This is the time of year last year where he started to really turn it around post-All-Star break as well. So I'm not counting uh-huh. him out just yet. But yeah. at the same time, you're right. Um, Ortiz was a big reason why he was successful. He had so much fun last year. We talked about almost every show how much fun it was to watch Hanley because he was having fun. I do believe Ortiz was a big part of that. And maybe you know Ortiz is around Friday. They're retiring his number. Maybe they can, he can say something or jolt his team, whatever it may be. But, you know... Hanley does need to start playing better. He does need to start picking it up and kind of figure his life out a little bit here. And I'm really happy to have Mitch Moreland at first base. He's been awesome this year. He's been everything you could want and very much more. Uh, I just wish that we could have him at first base doing what he's doing and have Hanley also playing first and DHing and doing well. It's like it's like it's one or the other, right? You get Moreland at first base playing great all season and then you get nothing from Hanley. It's like I wish we could have both because that would be ideal and that could happen, but it's not happening, unfortunately. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, and, you know, I still think Sam Travis will be on this team at, by the end of the year, kind of playing platoon here with Mitch Moreland. And could be up sooner around later, depending on how the roster spots work out. But uh, I just, Hanley kind of screwed up the situation um, of what they have to play with here at first base. But um, a lot of successful things going on with the Red Sox. Still a good week. They are technically tied for first place. They're still technically in second. But um, they are tied for first place with the Yankees as of right now because the Yankees got swept by the Oakland A's. So, Jess, let's start our uh, MLB side of the show here around the league with that question I wanted to talk to you about. Um, The Yankees got swept by the A's for the first time in a long time. And my question to you is, because we've been waiting for this, is this the where the decline of the Yankees finally starts to happen? We've talked about it. You know, people said, you know, you're just counting the Yankees. They're better than you thought. Yeah, they played well. At some point, we felt like this roster, at least I did, this roster was going to kind of start to crumble. They're young. Uh, the pitching staff's mad, depending on who you talk to. Is this the start of the decline of the New York Yankees for this season? Uh, my answer is maybe. <laughs> no, such, no, one or yes or the other. Yes or no. Well, so they've lost six games in a row, which is awesome. Um but if you look at the games, obviously I haven't watched them, but they've all been close. 3-2-7-5-8-7-7-6-5-2-4-3. Those are all close games. So obviously some of those could go either way. Um, the fact that it was against the Angels and the A's, kind of pathetic on their part. So I'm inclined to say yes, this is the start of the decline because they're a young, te- young team who's obviously severely overachieved so far, mostly because of Aaron Judge. And it, they were bound to lose some games at some point. I don't want to say yes totally because the games were close but it's hard to argue with six straight losses against very average to bad teams and i mean they're playing the angels again starting tomorrow for another series so interesting to see if they lose to them again several more times so i'm not willing to say yes completely yet but i'm hopeful that it would be and i'm loving it because screw the yankees i agree i said that statement um (laughs) honestly if it is jess you're running away with this division because everyone else is kind of the, the Orioles have crapped on themselves as of late. Um, the, Tampa Bay, wow. the, the Tampa Bay Rays overtook the Orioles. The Orioles are now in fourth place. Rays are in third, and Blue Jays are still God knows what they're doing in Toronto. So they're look, a game it, behind the Orioles is what they're doing. Yeah, so they're right there. Which honestly isn't speaking much to the Orioles to the Blue Jays. It's just saying how bad the Orioles have been. But yep. look, the bottom half of this division is terrible. Red Sox are figuring it out, and they're getting Smith back. They're getting healthy. They're figuring it out. Yankees now in the skid. If this is what the Yankees turn into being and they start to muddle around here, you're talking at what we finally thought was going to happen was the Red Sox start to climb to the top and kind of get some ground and some breathing room in this division. And I'm praying to God that's the case because with the bullpen situation, the rotation the way it is with injuries and things like that, it'd be nice to have some breathing room at the top of this stupid division. Yeah, and I mean... That's what everyone expected when the season started. You know, most people picked the Red Sox to win the division because, you know, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, David Price, blah, blah, blah. That was before Price got hurt and before Porcello was not good. Either way, that's what everyone predicted, and it's starting to finally come more true. Red Sox are climbing to the top. Um, I think you'd pretty much have to – I mean, obviously it's a little 
a little room for gray area here, but it seems like roster-wise and what's happened so far, you would think the Red Sox have the best team in the division. I mean, the Yankees have obviously overachieved. The Red Sox have gotten pretty poor outings, you know, between Porcello not pitching well, Price not pitching well, Thornburg and Smith not pitching, period. Um, you know, questions in the bullpen that have been answered by great pitching. It's like the fact that the Sox are still 39-30 and 30 and a lot of stuff hasn't gone right, like the offense not performing for much of the season. So I think that you, you have to say the Red Sox probably are the best team in the division and things are finally evening themselves out. Definitely interested to see what Tampa Bay can do, considering they're right there now. But And obviously Toronto could turn it around. Baltimore's falling off. But it's nice and close. But I think you've got to get to the edge of the Red Sox, especially knowing what's happened so far and what could happen in the future. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think overall you have to get the roster, the talent, all to the Red Sox. Um, quick question for you because I'm curious. I always think about this question. Who would you prefer to be more, though, Yankees in their future or the Red Sox in their future? Hmm. That's a tough one. Because the Yankees have a nice young core, like they do, with Judge and D.D. Gorius and, 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 Ka- and all these guys. They have a nice core with some youth, youthful pitching as well, some talent at the top of that rotation. But you turn it the other way, and you see the Red Sox have Bats, Benatendi, Bogarts, the guys that we know about, Vasquez, all these guys. Yeah. It's a big question, and it's going to be something where no one's going to have to really know the answer because you're probably going to see the Yankees and Red Sox at the top of this, rota- top of this division for years to come at this point because they've both rebuilt with some success. Yeah, and it's hard to pick one or the other at this point. Um, obviously, I watch the Red Sox every day, so I'm very familiar with what they have. I need to watch the Yankees a little more to make maybe a total decision on that. But between Betts, Bogarts, Benintendi, Bradley Jr., Vasquez, and the solid pitching that we have, I want to give the edge to the Red Sox for the future. Maybe I'm biased. I could very well be biased. I'm not saying I'm not, but I got some good pieces, and Obviously, Judge is an absolute maniac, but I don't know how good their pitching is. I don't know how much you can trust Severino. So I'm going to go with the Red Sox on that one. Not 100% confident in that answer. If I watch the Yankees every day, maybe I'd be more confident in my answer. But I'm going Red Sox. Yeah, I, I want to go Red Sox just because of some of the youth they have. And obviously, get biased again because we know our farm system better than anyone else's because we pay attention to it. So, But I think you know with the, with the arms you have, um, the guy you just drafted, can throw like crazy too. Um, you know, so I, I think as much as I don't trust Dombrowski to not trade the whole farm system away and not have any minor league teams the way he goes and does his job, um, I still like where the Red Sox are at. I think the Yankees are right there though. And honestly, if I watch more base Yankees baseball, which I would never do, I might say the Yankees, you know? So it's, it's just a matter of it really any Yankees fans going to say the Yankees. Most Red Sox fans are going to say the Red Sox, if not all. So it's really going to be close. Now. It's exciting, though, because that's what we've been asking for for so many years. Just Yankees, Red Sox, top of the division, we miss it. It's never going to be what it was, Jess, when we were growing up, but it's coming back to full circle, and now the Yankees and the Red Sox are battling for first place again, which is always nice. Yeah, I don't like the Yankees being good, but I do like it being competitive with these two teams, as long as the Red Sox win. So if they want to be good and lose, then fine. If they want to be good and win, not cool with it. So I'm fine with it right now. It's good. It's fun to have it back. Yeah, it probably won't be what it used to be. But, you know, I don't know. Judge and Betts, maybe they're going to start a, start something here. That'd be fun. It'd be fun. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, okay, so one other thing I wanted to touch on around the league before we get to the predictions. I know Jess put this on here for show prep. Um, just a really cool story, story of uh, Nolan Arenado. Um, he hit for the cycle Rocky, for the Rockies, but just the way he got his home run for the cycle – Final at bat, hits a walk-off homer to hit for the cycle, wins the game. I don't know what's going on in Colorado, but I love it because the Rockies are good. I know I work at a, at a company where we have an office in Colorado, and everyone out there that I always talk to goes, yeah, we just go to the Rockies games to drink. They're never really good. Now they're like, wait, I kind of want to go to baseball games to watch baseball. It's nice to see the Rockies good again because that division now is actually ridiculously talented. Oh, it's insane. The Rockies are 44 and 20, 46 and 26. Arizona's 44 and 26. LA's 44 and 26. Five wins in a row for the Rockies, seven wins in a row for the Diamondbacks, three wins in a row for the Dodgers. They're, all these teams are great. And yeah, I mean, Arenado, first of all, the guy's a stud. He hit over 40 home runs last year, 320 average, whatever he had. He's great. And to get the cycle by hitting a walk off home run, I mean, is there anything better than that? No, you can't. If you're going to hit a cycle, that's the way to do it. Um, oh my God. In that division, too, and that's obviously Nolan Arenado, great story. Kid's phenomenal. 
pad the home run totals a little bit playing at higher elevation. But that being said, still talented. Um, I, I look at that division and go, I'm very happy for Paul Goldschmidt. Because he was on really bad teams for a long time. He could have pussed him around and asked to be traded, but nope. He stuck with him, and now he's on a really talented team playing a really good se- having a good season and, and is talented. If I remember correctly, I predicted that the Diamondbacks would be really good this season. So uh, apparently I was right. I had no confidence in it, but uh, <laughs> we're done well, pretty well. The thing with the Diamondbacks um, is they have the, the, ro- they have the roster. Like, they have the roster. I just don't know. Maybe it was lack of leadership, which obviously Lavelle is a big part of that now. But, you know, they had some talent on that team. It was kind of surprising why they were always so bad. Yeah, I know. You were always like, when is this team going to get good? Why are they Why are they still have 60 wins and 100 losses? But here they are, 40, 44 and 24. Yeah, I picked, them to win. I picked them to go to the wild card game. So it's pretty cool. Go Diamondbacks. Go Lavelle. Uh, and in the meantime, the, the Giants suck. And they're in the bottom of that division. <laughs> And um, I may have picked them to win the World Series, but we can forget about that. Yeah, no, we don't have to worry about that. Um, I mean, my <laughs> World Series pick was the Cubs again, and they're at 500 right now. So who knows? Yeah, they're not doing too good either. Yeah. No, they're not. They're still in a World Series hangover. Um, which don't blame them. I mean, you break that kind of curse uh-huh. you, with that young of a roster. There's some there's some overlap there. But uh, before we get out of here, a lot obviously to talk about this week. We got through a lot of it. No, Lauren, sad, sad, but she's in Mexico, so whatever. Um, we want to do our predictions for the week. Uh, this show is happening before the Red Sox and the Royals play. Um, I'm not, I haven't looked at the score yet, so there isn't one. There isn't one. Even better. So <laughs> three, th- they have three in Kansas City this week versus, and then three at home versus the the wonderfully talented Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, Jess, what do you have them doing against the uh, Royals? Yeah, I have them winning two of three. Um, the Royals are pretty average this season so far. They are just about at 500. They're 33 and 35. Um, they've been playing better of late, seven and three in their last 10. They started off real bad, um, which is funny because they're my other World Series pick. I picked Giants over Royals. Missed that one a little bit. Phenomenal but, choices, by the way. Yeah. Phenomenal choices. Kind of missed that. Either way, um, I still have faith that the Royals are decent, which is why I'm giving them one game in the series and not a sweep that I would have picked otherwise. But I think on the road against the Royals, after taking two out of three from the Astros and three out of four from the Phillies, I think a two two and one against the Royals would be solid. I take that. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I just think that against a team like the Royals, they're not playing well this year, but they still have talent on that roster. It's not like they got it and are terrible. So right. I think winning a two out of three is still a good achievement for them, considering, you know, they're not 100% talented this year, but they still have the roster to beat you in some games, especially the inconsistencies you still have as a team. There's still holes there, so I have them winning two out of three. The Angels series is where Jess and I differ, differentiate ourselves. Uh, Jess, what do you have them doing against the Angels? Yeah, screw the Angels. I got a sweep. Oh, they're terrible, um, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're kind of similar, almost exactly the same as the Royals. They're 36 and 37 so far, but they're 15 and 21 on the road, which is not very good uh so i'm going the sweep i think that will be kind of like the philly series where you win the first three i think that would be a good good series to uh keep keep this train rolling get into first place with a nice five and one week i mean i'm feeling good about the team they're playing well and they're playing teams that aren't as good i don't see any reason for the winning to not continue yeah i think i think it will i have them winning two out of three though against the angels i just my gut said sweep though so i wouldn't be surprised if they do but I, I just give room for error, especially the way, you know, like I said, there's, there's hiccups here and there with this team. Um, they lost one nothing to the one of the, if not, actually, the Phillies are the worst team in baseball, right? Oh, um, absolutely. So they lost the game to the worst team in baseball. So anything honestly can happen. Angels still have talent on that roster like the Royals do. So as much as I, it's going to be a good week. 4-2 is in my eyes is still a good week um, for the way baseball oh, yeah. works. And 4-2 and probably puts you at first place by yourself by the end of the week, the way the Yankees are playing. So. I mean, if you win two out of three in every series of the whole season, you're gonna be a really good team. So, yeah. So you can't complain. You can't sweep everybody. And uh, four and two, I think five and one or four and two puts you in first place uh, over the Yankees come the end of the week, just because the Yankees have not been playing well um, and the way they're playing. So that being said, just four, five and one. I have them going four and two uh, this week again. Three at Kansas City, which they're in the middle of game one right now as we record. And then three against the Angels. Uh, that will put a, a wrap on this week. No Lauren, of course. She is, again, in Mexico. So everyone tweet at her. Uh, tell her how jealous you are. Tell us how, how upset you were that she wasn't here because we all know she makes the show, not us two hooligans. But 
That being said, held it down without her. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. Uh, don't forget to follow CLNS Media on Twitter at CLNS Media. Facebook, search the same thing. You will find it. Uh, don't forget the free mobile podcasting app for iOS and Android. Uh, search CLNS and you'll find us there. You can listen to all the shows across the network, not just ours. Of course, we love to listen to ours, but there's other networks on the show as well. Um, so definitely go check them out. Of course, if the Patriots training camps coming close, you're going to want to listen to Patriots beat and Celtic stuff's going strong as the rumors are coming. The drafts this weekend, Jess and I are both a little weary about what's going on in the green, in green team land. So, uh, but that being said, this week is over. Don't forget, thanks a huge shout out to SeatGeek. Don't forget the Garden Report promo code. Go to the settings tab at get the $20 rebate there as well. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about your fir- officially your first place Boston Red Sox. But until then, enjoy the baseball. You know, hopefully you stay cool with all the heat that's going on. And uh, we'll be back next week.